Like Steve said, my name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Citadel Square. I want to say Happy New Year to you. I also want to say Merry Christmas. Is it, what's the cutoff date for Merry? Is, is it today? Is today the last day? Like some people probably think Merry Christmas. Last day you could say that is like the 25th, 26th. I'm going with the 31st, okay people? All right, so Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Along that same thought, how long do you stretch out the Happy New Year? This is a fun social experience as I warm up to you guys, you guys warm up to me, right? How, how, how late do you say Happy New Year? Is it like January 10th feels comfortable? January 15th? January 31st? If you're saying it like March 23rd, just we can talk. We can do like a counseling session, me and you. All right? But Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you. We're glad you're here with us. If you're joining us online this morning and doing some travel or catching us later, we are happy you're joining us as well. So I want you to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5, like Jared and Steve mentioned. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning. If you have, if you're using one of those Bibles on the seats around you, that's going to be on page 886. So we are really excited if, if you're kind of new to navigating the scriptures and maybe don't know where Romans is and maybe don't even have a Bible. We'd love for you to take one of those Bibles around you, uh, take that home with you. That'll be our gift to you. And so that's going to be on 886 in the Bible on the seats around you. If you have your own Bible, it's probably not going to be on 886, okay? So don't just like stick to 886. I'm trying to do that for those who are helping uh, use the Bible in front of them, okay? So we want to get that Word of God into your heart, your life. We believe it has the power to transform you. So don't just take it and then put it on your shelf. Take it and read it. So as you're turning there, I want to acknowledge what time of year we are in. We've just exchanged some pleasantries of, of Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, right? And it's the end of 2023, and tomorrow marks the beginning of a new year, 2024. You'll hear about this in anything you scroll through on social media, any news you catch. Anything you read, any YouTube videos you watch, any, you know, how to plan and have your best year ever in 2024, tackle it by my journal. It's only $49.95. What does it have in it? Just blank pages for you to work, right? You'll see all those sorts of things for you to help tackle this new year and make it your best year ever. And I think the, the overall arching theme there is we all want to grow. We want 2024 to be a year, hopefully for those of us in this room, we want it to be a year in which we grow spiritually, right? But there are also some other areas in which we want to grow. We want to grow in our lives relationally. We want to grow physically. We want to grow vocationally, personally, maybe mentally, academically, right, in wisdom, and so I'm sure there are a few others for y'all as well. And goals like this are not bad. But in 2024, I don't want you to grow in your confidence in your own strength. And I think that's what's so frequently sold to us. And that's what's, what we so frequently believe, right? Is we are sold that we need to really become a better version of us. And we do need to grow in sanctification as Christians. And we do need to keep maturing and growing in wisdom, right? And so those are ways in which we do need to keep growing. And growing in all those other areas that we feel pressure to continue growing, they're not bad. But we want... 
Well, my hope for you, my hope for myself, my hope for my, my family, my children, my spiritual family here, you all, is that you would, you would grow in your confidence of God. And that's what I want you to walk away with today is if you hear nothing else today, I'm going to go ahead and give you the end of the sermon, is I want us in this room to think of 2024 as I want this to be a year that I am confident in God. We may hear that several different ways, right? We may hear that of trusting in God or hoping in God, but I want you to be, uh, that word, right? Sometimes that word, we, we struggle with that word confident. I want you to be confident in God this year. And so here in Romans 5, Paul answers kind of that pragmatic question that we're, that that's the itch for us all. What am I supposed to do with what I now believe? And so if you're new to Christianity or you're just exploring it, you may not yet believe these things. But this is, we're going to unpack some things that are true of Christians. And so what am I supposed to do with what I now believe? And by unveiling here is what Paul, what Paul does is he answers it by unveiling here what you have been given in Christ. You see, he, he doesn't give you this laundry list of things to do. He actually says, here are the results of justifying faith in Jesus Christ. These are the results. These are the blessings of justification. Here are these things. And so let's Let's pray and then let's take a look at these things and see how we might live in light of them. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a, a new year tomorrow. God, we thank you for uh, this past year. We look back on the ways in which you have provided for us. You have sustained us. You have blessed us. You have grown us. God, and we think of all these things that, that have, have been accomplished by you, and we are reminded that apart from you, what can we do? We can do nothing. And so, God, I pray that our dependence and our mindfulness, our, our affections for you would grow this morning as we look at your word. We would walk out of here saying, what a great God that we have. And we'd be able to take our eyes off of ourselves a little bit and look to you, our Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So let's read Romans 5, 1 through 5, and then we're going to walk through it. So we'll read it all the way through, and then we'll walk through it, okay? It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, 
Romans 1 through 4. There's some bad news in Romans 1 through 4, right? If you, are you familiar with that? There's some reminders of, man, we have sinned, right? We, we have sinned and our hearts are, torn, are turned and bent toward evil all the time. That's, where, that's the way in which our hearts go. And then we get this wave of good news in Romans 5, 1 through 5, before we get to like Romans 8 and before we get to the, the more pragmatic section of Romans, which it, it gives us some practical wisdom in how to actually live later in, ver in, in chapters 12 through 16, we get this breath of fresh air and sometimes we don't even know what to do with it. And it's right here in Romans chapter 5. It's here are these gifts you've been given. If you have justifying faith in Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, here's what you get. Now that, that can make us uncomfortable sometimes, right? Sometimes if you get a really lavish gift, is it just kind of uncomfortable? If like, if you got them like a $25 McDonald's gift card for Christmas, if you did that, another counseling session, all right? And then that person got you like a diamond ring and you're like, do you want like a thousand dollars? The gift makes you kind of uncomfortable, doesn't it? Right? The, this is gonna, what we're gonna see here, this is so lavish that sometimes we don't know what to do with it. And what we do with it is this. We say, man, this stuff that God has given to me, it's so good. Do you know what I have to now do? I have to now go and earn it. I now have to go and work for this. It's so good, it makes me feel uncomfortable, especially when I mess up. Especially when I know that I'm still a sinner. If you ever, are you familiar with that? Simul Eustace et Pegator, simultaneously a sinner and a saint. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And it makes us uncomfortable when we come across passages like this that are almost so good to us. They're so good to us because you and I, we know us. We don't know us fully. Only God really knows the human heart. But you know you better than anybody else knows you. And I know AJ better than anybody else knows AJ. And when God says this kind of stuff about me, man, it's uncomfortable, but it's also incredible. So let's look at it. Let's just walk through it. We're going to have, we're going to see three main, if you're a note taker, remember, you're walking away. Be confident in God. That's what I'm walking away with. And here are the three sections. I want you to walk away with peace with God, access to God, and hope in God. Okay? And then I'm going to tell you how we're going to have ultimate confidence in God at the end. So let's look at it. Therefore, now what's, what do you say when you see that in the Bible? This is, this is like good South Carolina hermeneutics. What do you do when you see that? What do you ask? What's the question? 
What's it there for, all right? So we could go back right now and read all of Romans 1 through 4. That would be an incredible exercise. We don't have time for that. So what does Paul do? He does something so kind. Paul, what a nice man he was, right? He does something so generous for us. He says right after, look, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he gives us an incredible summary statement. But we ask, what does that mean? Justified by faith. So we, have to, we do have to do a little bit of homework. We got to do a little bit of going back, right? So turn back to Romans 3.23. It's a famous passage. Makes us feel really good about ourselves. Just kidding. Right? It's one that we're familiar with, right? So it gives us kind of the context of this is, this is the nature of us. This is the condition that we're in. And it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, many people have, know that verse. It's one of the first verses that my daughter memorized. I'm sorry. I'm like, you know, memorize the verses about sin, right? That's, that's how we parent at our house. But don't stop there because we're talking about justification. We're talking about being justified by faith. And it says this in verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. This faith is given to you as a gift, right? You're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation. He he paid the penalty. How did he pay the penalty? He paid it with his blood on the cross. As a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture right here. Don't miss this. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can a good and righteous God accept and receive sinners? How can he? Legally, how can he do it? He can do it because he is the justifier who went to the cross and paid the penalty and said they're no longer guilty. They have been justified by faith, so I put my righteousness on them. That is the legal transaction that happens in justification by faith. You are now declared righteous in God's sight. Jesus paid that penalty for us. That may seem like an elementary doctrine, but you need to be reminded of that each and every day. And so do I. And that's why this is good news. Because now we go and see, turn back to Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What do we have now? We have the first point that we're looking at. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have. We have been given peace with God. And this is a wonderful gift. In, in our emotional centric culture, when we see we have peace with God, we may, we may read that peace as a feeling. That is not 
what this refers to. That feeling of inner peace is not what this is referring to. This is referring to the objective fact of peace that we just looked at. So we just looked at you've been justified, you're now declared righteous, and what continuing this train of thought, if you go back to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we were enemies with God. How do we know that? Look down in Romans 5 at verse 8. Same chapter, verse 8, you see it? It says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies with God and Christ died for us. Sinners who are enemies with God now have been given peace with God. And so this is not referring to a feeling, it's referring to a fact. It's referring to your standing before God. You see, we were enemies of the state that God reigns and rules over, and he's now made a way for us to be at peace with him. And so we were deserving of justice and wrath, and God made a way. Now, I said that isn't referring to the emotive peace that we think of when we think of inner peace in our day and in our culture. But guess what? When you think about that, you were lost. You were dead in your sin and trespasses. You were, in, you were an enemy of God. You had no peace with God. And now you have peace with God? Should that not spark emotion, desire, and affections in the people of God? That should. You now have peace with God? And man, I can feel that peace with God. So even though this is declarative about the status you have peace with God, man, it should. It should cause us to worship. So people, along that, that train of thought, people may feel at peace with God when they are in fact in danger of his judgment. See, genuine peace with God means that we are truly reconciled with him. And there may be people who interpret that as a feeling, as something, oh, well, this is an emotive thing. This is something that, uh, man, the kindest person I know, they have peace. They seem pretty peaceful. They're so sweet. How could they not be a Christian? How could they not be saved? They're so nice. Have you ever met someone like that who's maybe so nice they almost feel like such a good person and they don't know Christ. Those are some of the saddest instances because they may think they're good. They may think they have it figured out. They may think, how much better of a person do I need to be? Those may be some of the toughest people to share the gospel with. But man, they need Christ. They need to know their standing before him without him. And that's, our God is just, and they are going to face the justice of God without him because we are all sinners. No matter how nice we are, no matter how put together we are, we need Christ. And so, <clears throat> how do you get this peace with God? Look at it real quick. It gives, you the, it, gives it to you real, really cut and simple. How do you give, how do you get this peace with God? We have peace with God right there through justification by faith. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God. 
and then we get it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how we get it. But the, the real rub here is in the, where the transaction, in a sense, where you're legally declared, at conversion, you're legally at peace with God now, right? You understand that, you get that. But the rub here is the emotive part and that declarative part coming together because, man, I may, AJ, I may, I may know that I have peace with God, but why doesn't it feel like it all the time? Right? Have you, listen to me on this, have you ever wondered if my lackluster Christian performance has outsinned God's grace? I know what God says about me. I know the good things he says about me, but man, I go in and out of feeling like he's my father. I go in and out of living at peace with God. I want you to hear me on that. That is the normal Christian life. We live in that simultaneously saint and sinner, simultaneously justified and sinning, okay? Romans 7 exists where Paul says, why do I do these things that I don't want to do? Are you familiar with that passage? Why? Why am I still in this sinful shell? Why? Why am I doing these? I don't want to do these things anymore. And we all struggle with that. But you know what we do? We never talk about that. That's the part of us that no one really gets to know. But Romans 7 exists, but so does Romans 8, where it says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's where you can say, yes, I'm simultaneously a sinner to say, but why still the, why the struggle, where does that come from? You see, what, what I think happens is when we're looking at our union with Christ here, we are at peace with God, right? We're going to see we have access to God. We have hope in God. That's our union with God. And what happens is we take the communion with God, right? Our interaction, our, I send, I know I need to repent. I'm not living as though I desire to live. Why do I do these things I still don't want to do? And what we do is we, we, we think... This is, a, this is some sort of transactional relationship with God. I didn't perform well and now he doesn't like me. We talk about this with our, with our daughters all the time. We use relationship and, and how, the fact that I'm your father and we're related. That, that relationship is never going to change. That is in stone fact it's good. But when you guys disobey your mom and I, you have broken fellowship with us. And so then we need to be reconciled in that. That doesn't mean you're no longer my daughter. It just means there's a strife in the relationship. And this is what the Christian needs to do. They need to live a life of repentance back to God. Does that make sense? My daughters aren't, they, they, they smarted off to their mother. You're, you're now out the family. You're not my daughter. You're not my daughter anymore. And, and you got to figure that out. My daughters are sitting right there. So they're like, dad, this is getting creepy. 
<clears throat> it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in our family units. It doesn't work like that with God. But that's the way in which we functionally live out the Christian life. What I'm telling you today is be confident in who God says he is. If you're confident in who God says he is in 2024 and beyond, man, that really shapes how you live from that. And you're no longer living for this acceptance. Yes, I want to do things that please God. Why? Because I see how great of a sinner I am and I see how great his grace is. His grace abounds so much more than my sin. And so it's like this, man, I don't want to do that anymore. Okay, I did that again. I don't want to do that anymore. I see how great God is and how great his grace that he lavishes upon me is. And so don't treat the union and the relationship the way you do communion and the fellowship. If you get those two confused, you're always going to be living this life with God that is one that is just exhausting. Okay? Do you hear me on that? It's going to exhaust you. All right, let's look at the next result of faith here in the text. And we got we to gotta get moving. So then it says in verse 2, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, the this is at the first half of verse 2, the, the through him, so through Jesus, we've obtained this access to the faith. We've been given almost an introduction into Christianity. This is how we've gotten in, okay? So this idea that we are presented faultless before the throne of God and we now stand in grace. We are immediately in the presence of God. Boom. Something happens when you trust in Christ. And this is not a surprise to God. Okay? We have access now. We just sung about this. We have access to the throne of God. That's, the, that's what we have. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, our God does not slumber. He doesn't clock out on a lunch break. He doesn't forget you when you're in need. We have this living relationship with God. And that is where it begins. It begins in Jesus so have you ever wondered where things kind of become Christianese? Do you know what I mean by that? Like this Christian almost language that only people that are, that are churchy use. I don't know how else to say it. I'm, I'm churchy so I can say that about me, right? Like we use words like unpack, right? I'm going to unpack the text, right? Or we say things, we say weird things about prayer, you know? Like we just, we just don't know how to talk about prayer in a normal way. We just like put on our Christian hat and, and we just talk about prayer and say, and say just like we almost have a different voice when we talk, right? Well, then we just have all sorts of lingo and jargon. Well, one of these is, pers have you ever heard someone say like, man, I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus, is that anywhere in the Bible? That phrase. 
Not really, right? Not, not, not scripted out that way. But where does that come from? Is that a biblical idea? I argue yes it is. And it's right here. It's right here. The phrase a personal relationship with Jesus may not verbatim be spelled out that way in the Bible. But you have been given access. Do you see this? Through him we have also obtained access. You've been given access to the maker of heaven and earth. So do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's a question to you. I hope you do. I hope you know him. But man, what a gift that is. He's not a far off God. He's not like some of these other fake or false gods who stayed dead or who have stayed far off or whatever these other religions have invented. This God is near. This God, you can know him. And not only that, but we just celebrated Advent and Christmas and we lifted up the fact that our God is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Our God came to his people. Can you, like, fathoming the amazement of that. God didn't stay far off. He didn't stay, he is in the story. He's the main character of all of human history. The pinnacle moment is our Savior coming to this earth. The, our, our calendars are based around it. Whether people are Christians or not. There are 2,000 years since what? 2,000 years since what? Everything is based around him and we have access to him. But man, it's... I want you to hear me on each of these. These are really good news, but man, these are, these, are, these are tough sometimes to functionally live out and believe every day when you know what you know about yourself, when you see how other people treat other people, when you see how you treat other people, when you see how lackluster your relationship with God is, right? It is normal to doubt whether God can hear you, whether he actually hears you. It is normal, right, to doubt these things, whether the invisible God of the universe is actually near still, or was he just here and close by for 33 years and we missed that on the timeline. But here in Romans 5, 2, we have a promise that we can approach him and know him. And I want your confidence in that to be built today. All right, let's keep going. Got to walk through this in like 10 minutes, all right? So this is a big section. This is point number three, hope in God. All right, so second part of verse 2, it says... And we rejoice. Do you have a footnote there? Do you have a little number maybe in your Bible? What does it say down at the bottom? Rejoice may also mean what? Anybody got one? Say it loud. Remember, be confident in the Lord this year, guys. Come on. Boast. Right? That's a weird word to yell in church, but you did it. So did I, I guess. And we rejoice 
or we boast. That's a weird word when we're talking about this stuff. But let's keep reading and see a little bit of the context. And we rejoice or boast in the hope of, of the glory of God. We can boast in what? What are you allowed to boast in? What do you, what do you, what do you, better yet, what do, what do people actually boast in? People boast in things that are surefire things, that are fact, right? That actually happen. Why? Because if you boast in something that isn't fact, that isn't sure, what could happen? You could get sniffed out, right? As a fraud. This is serious business, especially in the Old Testament. If they get sniffed out as a fraud and they're a prophet, they're dead. So Paul maybe still is operating in that a little bit, right? Because the rest of the New Testament isn't like published leather bound for Paul and the other guys yet. Okay? So he's kind of like, this better be true, right? He says, I'm going to boast in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm going to boast in the cross. And if this isn't, later in, the, he, he says, if this isn't true, man, me and my boys, we should be pitied. Because we're fools. But he's saying this, the fact that the Savior came to the earth and we just celebrated it in Christmas. And the fact that he died and he rose from the grave. I'm going to boast in that. And not only that, here he says, I'm going to boast in the hope of glory. I'm going to boast in the fact that I get to share one day in the riches of God in heaven for all of eternity. And what is that? I get to get God for all of eternity. I get to share in, in worship of God forever. That's what I get. So am I going to boast in that? Am I going to tell? Now, I'm not. Now, see, we, we, when we talk about rejoicing and, and then we, we go over to boasting, boasting gets a little wonky because then it's like, oh, you're bragging because you're better than Christian. Good job. Guess what? I don't want to be that. But we get to boast in who God is and what he has done for us. Okay? We get to boast in the hope of glory. We get to rejoice in the fact that we get to share in that forever with God. And so, let's continue reading. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. Not only that. So, Paul's like, man, you guys have... You guys have gotten some good news thus far, but check this out. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is like er, emergency break moment. Like what happened here? We were like up and to the right, and then it was a cliff. Paul, what's going on here? We've got to read some to, to understand what's going on here. So we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So he goes back to hope. There's this, this end time eschatological hope, right? Hope that, man, I'm looking, I'm living with the end in mind. I'm looking forward to that, which is is, is out there that God has promised that I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. 
And why is that good news? Not just because it's like ins an insurance policy that I'm, uh, I'm good. I said the prayer. I walked the aisle. I have the personal relationship with Jesus. It's not that. It's man, I know God. I was an enemy. I have, I have peace with him now. I have access to him and I hope for what he promises because I'm confident in what he says. That's what that is. And so what about the sufferings? Well, the suffering produces something. It produces this endurance. It produces, and the endurance is not just going to sit there. The suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The, these tests help shape your growth, your hope, your confidence in God. Because if you remember, there's a parable of the soils where there's four soils, right? And it talks about how the, the seed of the gospel is, is scattered on all these different types of soils. And there's one where some tribulation, some trial happens and it fades away. So he's saying, these Christians who have justifying faith, they're going to endure. And when they endure trials, because they're coming, when they endure trials, it's going to be for your good. It's going to produce something in you that is for your good. And so we see these, there's these like, there's these threats in this text to rejoicing. Do you see them as we read them? Suffering can be seen as a threat. But I can rejoice in suffering because of what it produces in me. There when we, we see the word knowing, we, we struggle sometimes with a lack of certainty and assurance, don't we? But we can know here in this passage. We have a lack of, of trust sometimes that, is God really at work? Is he doing, do you see the word produces in, in the Bible there? Paul's, Paul's hitting that. He's saying that lack of trust you may have, this is going to produce something in you. And then it says in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. That thing that's out there, that's looming, that, man, I, my, perform, my performance-based Christianity that I go back to, I didn't perform well. If, whenever I die, is it going to, how's it going to end for me? How is, how is judgment going to be for me? How is that? How, how am, what, what's going to, you have been declared righteous. There's now no condemnation. If you have genuine, true, authentic, justifying faith in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. And here's where we want to end, guys, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how can we be confident in God? How? How has God's love been poured into our hearts? You see, 
God's spirit is given to his believers. Jesus even says this. He says, it's going to be better that I ascend and go up to heaven. And you're going to be left the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to indwell in you, reside in you. And he's going to empower you, right? The Holy Spirit, he's going to be, it's going to be even better. And so through the Holy Spirit, you and I have this inward assurance that God loves us. We've been given the Spirit of God. There is internal evidence for this. That's what we have been given. And here's what is amazing. That internal evidence is not something you can boast about. Because faith and, Holy, and the Holy Spirit are gifts to us, to those, who, uh, to those of us who believe. Gifts from God. It's not something you can say like, I figured out how to get the Holy Spirit of God in here. I'm that smart. I figured that out on my own. You can't boast about that. All you can boast about is that it's a gift that's been given to you. And so the internal evidence that is in us, the Holy Spirit of God, it's actually external. It's something from outside of us. And that's the beauty of it. You see, go back to God's love there. It says, you can be so confident in the fact, the fact that when you trust in Jesus, you are going to share in God's glory because God has lavished his love and grace upon you. Where is the other main evidence for God's love for us? Yes, the Holy Spirit. And yes, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. When I wonder if God loves me, when I wonder if he's pleased with me, when I wonder if I can approach him, when I wonder if I have anything to fear in death, when I wonder how it is going to turn out for me on the day of judgment, how do I know God loves me? What is my answer? How can you be confident in that? Because those are those moments where you're laying in bed at 3 a.m., when life has happened, what, how, where is my confidence? When, when life happens, what's the answer? The 95 mile an hour fastball right down the middle. You don't have to get creative with this, folks. You do not. God so loved the world. He loved you. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He did that so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The hope of glory. You will have eternal life. So how do we live in light of this? This allows us to live with the end in mind. We are confident in God. He has told us the end. So now, in light of that, we now live backward in a sense. We, we look ahead to the fact that I will be with the Lord forever one day. Oh, that's how, that's where I'm going to be. And I get to experience God in his fullness for eternity. And so when I'm living for acceptance from God, I am not living with the end in mind. I'm moment to moment. Am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? Am I in? God, God loves me. He hates me. He's displeased with me. He likes me. It's, it's a terrible, exhausting dance to do. So if you haven't trusted in Christ, man, would you consider it? Would you move toward him as he's moving toward you, hopefully through his word today? 
Put your trust in Christ. Quit living this exhausting rat race of a life. Everything in that way of life, whether you're, you're not a believer or you're a believer and you're just living in this, in this in, out, everything is contingent upon you instead of him. I must become small. I must become less and he must become more. John the Baptist says in John 3.30. This doesn't give us, don't hear me on this, this doesn't give us a license to sin, but rather makes us more aware of our sin. Our sin, we become more aware of how great it is, and we also become more aware of how great the grace of God is. As we mature, we grow in seeing how holy God is, and we grow in seeing how vile our sin is. And we grow in seeing how vast and immeasurable the grace of God is. So, regenerate repentance sinner is the grace of God big enough to cover your sin. I am confident in God that it is. From his word here in Romans 5. So I'm going to read Romans 8, 9 through 17 as we close. And don't, don't listen to this just like, oh, this is the last few words. I'm going to put my Bible and like start checking, put my Bible away, start checking my phone. I want you to hear these words as Paul is speaking to other Christians and he's encouraging them on how to live, how to be confident in who God says that you are. This is hope for your struggles. Christian, listen to this. Those of you who haven't believed yet, listen to this. This is the life that you can live. This is the life that God promises. Romans I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you have put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good news to us. This world beats us up, our sin. We don't know what to do with it sometimes. Why do I keep doing these things? God, we need to be encouraged today that we have peace with you and it's ironclad.
We have access to you, God, and you are always there. We have hope with you, and that promise is sure. God, let us be a people at Citadel Square and beyond that are confident in our God, not only this year, 2024, but beyond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 